0: The following message is from Westway Christian Church in Scottsbluff, Nebraska. If you'd like to know more about us, go to westwaychurch.com. Thank you for listening. Hey, good morning. Don't you love technology? I was reminded of that earlier this week a few days ago when my wife and I were driving home from Oklahoma when my little meter on my car told me I had 50 miles to go before... My gas tank was empty, and we'll talk more about that in a few weeks. If you have your Bible, I'd love for you to open it to Acts chapter 18. Acts is the fifth book in the New Testament, and it comes right after, right after the Gospel of John. We'll be reading from that in a few minutes. Um, if we haven't met, I'm John, and I'm one of the pastors here at West White Christian Church. And it was, it was 30 years ago. Either in late August or September, 9th, or September, my wife told, tells me that she thinks it was September 9th of 1989. I was on break from my job at Ingalls, the local grocery store in Tacoa, Georgia, so I drove down Big A Road in Toccoa to Burger King to have some, something to eat, and little did I know that my life was literally about to be changed forever. I walked in, and there she was, Ann Benralti, ready to take my order at the Burger King counter. I ordered my food, and she, uh, she told me that I had a nice watch. Um, and then as I was leaving, I, I went up to her, and she says, I said this in a really creepy kind of way, which I probably <laughs> did. <coughs> I said something to the effect of, Thanks for thanks for being so nice. Um, you have to ask her how I said it because she does my voice much better than me in that creepy way. And like I thought that was it, right? One little one little encounter. And the next day I was on the campus of Toccoa Falls College where I was on um, I was on academic hiatus for my stellar uh, stellar grades, and I was getting my mail there. And who do I see walking out of? The post office, but Ann Venralti. And she says hi to me, and I said hi to her, and we went out on our very first date that night. And if you had told either one of us in that moment that 30 years, ago, 30 years later, we'd be holding our grandchild, our third grandchild, we would have told you that we were nuts. But just this past week, we were in Oklahoma City visiting our our oldest son and his wife, Brianna. Um, we did that very, that very thing. We're both holding Olivia Jean Mulholland, our third grandchild, first granddaughter. Um, and we were, it was amazing just to be in that space and to reflect back over 30 years. Because even when our... Even, when, even as our children were growing up, like we just never fathomed that they also were going to have kids that we were going to get to hold. So parents, what I want to tell you is if you have young children, there's going to be a moment where you are going to hold grandchildren. And that is going to be a very surreal moment for you. And as we were in that space, I was even thinking like I'm doing some math and I'm like, okay, so 25 years from now, some of our grandchildren are going to have their own children. And 25 years from now, we're, we're like, hopefully, like we're going to get to hold them too. And just how, how neat that is. And I'm telling you all of that information about Anna and myself because a lot of things can happen in just 30 years. Not just in our own lives, but in the life of the church. Mike shared with us last week that, that we are, are quickly approaching over the next several weeks, we are quickly approaching t- Westway Christian Church's 25th anniversary like in this, in this space. And as we come up on these anniversary times, it's important to not just reflect on the past, but to look forward, look into the future. So that's a little bit what is going to happen in this series. Um, We've called it the wife of Christ. And we've called it that because throughout the people, throughout the Bible, God's people are alluded to as the bride of God and the bride of Christ. Sometimes Jesus is referred to the bridegroom, and in Ephesians chapter 5, which we're going to get to several weeks from now, the analogy is pretty specific. And there's a lot of people who are both inside the church and outside the church who don't really have any kind of understanding as to what the church is and what it's supposed to be about. And this series is designed to help us understand what it means to be a part of what God was doing 2,000 years ago and what God is going to do for the next 2,000 years. And we do that best when we go to the source. When we look to the Bible, particularly we've chosen the church at Ephesus because she, as the wife of Christ, she is referred to in at least five books of the New Testament. The book of Acts, which is what we're going to read today, Paul's letter to the church at Ephesus that we call Ephesians, First and Second Timothy, and then in Revelation. And we see almost an entire life cycle of a church. What well, began around 52 AD actually it was dead almost 150 years later. We invite you to participate in lots of different ways on a Sunday morning. We invite you to sing. We invite you to greet one another and, and be the church to one another and engage in conversation and relationship with one another. After our message today, we take communion, which is participation, we give, which is participation. We play instruments and serve in the sound booth and serve as greeters. Like, there's lots of different ways that we all participate. And one of the ways that that you can participate on a Sunday morning is if you have any questions or thoughts about something that happens in the message, we invite you to to let us know that. And the easiest way to do it is to send a text to 307-316-2023. And then look for our Tuesday Q&A video on our church Facebook page at eleven fifteen on Tuesday morning. Now, you don't have to watch it live. You don't even have to have Facebook. A little bit later in the day, we post that on our, on our church website on the media page. So first, a few introductions to Ephesians, or the church at Ephesus. Ephesus was a port city, and it was a major urban center of trade between Asia Minor and Italy. And the word itself, Ephesus, means desirable, and it was thought to have been founded by the Amazons about 2,000 years uh, B.C., 2,000 B.C. So yeah, you heard me right. I said Amazons. (laughs) Ephesus was home to a 25,000-seat amphitheater and the Temple of Artemis, or Diana, one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. And the temple itself, this temple took more than a century to build. So imagine that, right? Think of the time. Think of the investment. We're going to talk about that in a few minutes. Ephesus was ruled by a council made up of 100 aristocrats who governed the city as a favor to the Romans. They owned much of the land and the major industries and were very wealthy. And Jews made up the fourth largest people group in the city. It's a little information about Ephesus. The main character that we're going to be talking about today is the Apostle Paul. And the events... That we're going to be reading from Acts 18 and beyond took place in '51, '52 A.D. They're not really 100 percent certain. But that's not when Paul's story began. If you've, if you've grown up in the church, you probably have a little bit of a background. But one of the things that I'm learning is even people who've grown up in the church aren't familiar with the history. They, they have a hard time putting things uh, together. So let's talk a little bit about Paul. He was also known as Saul. Not King Saul, that's Old Testament. This is New Testament. And we are first introduced to Saul when he's holding the coats of the men that were murdering the first Christian martyr, Stephen. And this is around 34 AD. So so we're going to read today, 51-52 AD, and we first meet Saul almost 20 years earlier. Saul then goes From Jerusalem to the city of Damascus, he's going there to arrest Christians and return them in chains to Jerusalem so he can torture them, he can persecute them, and he can murder them if they do not reject the faith of Christianity. And instead, on that road to Damascus, he meets the resurrected Jesus. And he himself is converted. And he begins taking this message, that this conversion message, he begins taking this message to his own people, the Jews. And over the period of the next 20 years, and you can read all of this in the book of Acts. We talked about Acts several years ago. You can read all of this in the book of Acts. Over, over the period of the next 20 years, Paul becomes more and more rejected by his own people. The Jews just constantly reject him. So at one point, he finally says, fine, then I'm going I'm to take the message to the Gentiles. I'm going to go outside of the religious norms, of the religious boundaries, and I'm going to take this message of hope and love and redemption and reconciliation to the Gentiles. But that doesn't stop him from trying to teach the Jews or reach the Jews, which we're going to read in a second. We're going to start today in Acts chapter 18 at verse 18. So please follow along with me as I read. Paul stayed in Corinth for some time after that, then said goodbye to the brothers and sisters and went to nearby Centria. There he shaved his head according to Jewish custom, marking the end of a vow. Then he set sail for Syria, taking Priscilla and Aquila with him. They stopped first at the port of Ephesus, where Paul left the others behind. While he was there, he went to the synagogue to reason with the Jews. They asked him to stay longer, but they declined. But he declined. As he left, however, he said, I will come back later, God willing. Then he set sail from Ephesus. The next stop was at the port of Caesarea. From there, he went up and visited the church at Jerusalem and then went back to Antioch. After spending some time in Antioch, Paul went through Galatia and Phrygia "'visiting and strengthening all the believers. "'Meanwhile, a Jew named Apollos, an eloquent speaker who knew the Scriptures well, had arrived in Ephesus from Alexandria in Egypt. He had been taught the way of the Lord, and he taught others about Jesus with enthusiastic spirit and with accuracy. However, he knew only about John's baptism. When Priscilla and Aquila heard him preaching boldly in the synagogue, they took him aside and explained the way of God even more accurately.''''.''.''.''.''.''.''.''.'.''.'.'.'.'.'.'.'.'.'.'.'.'.'.'.'.'.'.'.'.'.'.'.'.'.'.'.'.'.'.'.'.'.'.'.'.'.'.'.'.'.'.'.'.'.'.'.'.'.'.'.'.'.'.'.'.'.'.'.'.'.'.'.'.'.'.'.'.'.'.'.'.'.'.'.'.'.'.'.'.'.'.'.'.'.'.'.'.'.'.'.'.'.'.'.'.'.'.'. Apollos had been thinking about going to Achaia, and the brothers and sisters in Ephesus encouraged him to go. They wrote to the believers in Achaia, asking them to welcome him. When he arrived there, he proved to be of great benefit to those who, by God's grace, had believed. He refuted the Jews with powerful arguments in public debate. Using the scriptures, he explained to them that Jesus was the Messiah. One of the most challenging things when we when we read the Bible, one of the most challenging things for us when we read, we read the Bible, is not just knowing what it says, but what it means. What makes scripture like what we're what we're talking about today from the Book of Acts, what makes it really difficult for us to to understand in terms of what it means, is its is its literary genre. Right. This is this is a story. This is a narrative. What's happening, Luke, as the author of the book of Acts, is, is just telling us what happened. It's very descriptive in nature. And when we get to Ephesians next month, and when we get the 1st and 2nd Timothy next year, those, those letters are a little bit more digestible for us in terms of understanding because, because they're instructive, right? They tell us what to do. Do this, don't do that. One of the things that we want to do here at Westway Christian Church is is equip you so that you know how to read the Bible, so that you understand how to read the Bible. We believe the Bible is both timely and timeless. It was written to tell God's people, whether they were Old Testament Jews or New Testament Christians or us today, it was written to tell us who God is and how we ought to respond to him. That's the purpose of Scripture. Scripture. And as I've read this narrative many times over the past several months, this is, this is what I'm seeing as far as, like, what do I do with this? What does it mean? And you'll find this in your bulletin. And here's what I'm seeing in these initial 11 verses. If you want to participate in the, in the proclamation of the gospel, you must be humble and willing to submit to the wisdom, knowledge, And authority of other people. If you want to participate in the proclamation of the gospel, if you want to tell other people about Jesus faithfully, we have to be humble and willing to submit to the wisdom, knowledge, and authority of other people. And we see this in this character of Apollos. We see he has the desire to proclaim the gospel. And he was someone who had clearly been taught a lot of things about the gospel. It says that that he taught others about Jesus with enthusiastic spirit and with accuracy. So Apollos was someone who who was very well versed in understanding the gospel. But he also had an incomplete understanding, in particular, about what baptism was. He had an incomplete understanding of what baptism was. And he taught, and this was an issue, if you read throughout many of the letters throughout the New Testament, you'll you'll see this, that there are are people who don't necessarily understand baptism. I think that that rings true for today. And in particular, the the baptism that, that Apollos was teaching was the baptism of John. It was a baptism of repentance. And along come Priscilla, and Aquila, who had been with Paul. And they heard Apollo's teaching in the synagogue one day, and this is a little bit of a multiple choice. So so what did they do? They heard him teaching something that wasn't completely true, that wasn't accurate. Here's the multiple choice part. Did they scream at him in front of everyone and say, hey, moron, you have no idea what you're talking about? Did they fill out a connect card anonymously? Telling, telling Apollos that he was a heretic? Did they go to Facebook and accuse the synagogue of teaching false things? No, they, they took him aside, it says, and they explained it to him. And what did Apollos do? Did Apollos get mad? Did he fill out his own anonymous Connect card? Did he go on to Facebook? No, it says he submitted To the wisdom, knowledge, and authority of others, of people who were more knowledgeable than him. And what's so interesting is is when when he does this, he actually goes on to another place and proclaims the gospel even more effectively than what he was able to in Ephesus. So we do we see how this works? Do we understand how what's going on here? Some of us, I know, and I'm going to come back to this narrative thing a few times, when we read narrative, we get frustrated, right? Because our our initial question that we always want to ask when we read the Bible is, what am I supposed to do with this? What does this mean to me? How am I supposed to live this out? And what we want to do is we we want to dig deeply into the text and look at what's going on. I think one of the many things that we can learn from these 11 verses is, if you want to participate in the proclamation of the gospel, if you want to tell other people effectively about Jesus, we need to be humble and submit to the wisdom, knowledge, and authority of other people. Well, let's keep reading. While Apollos was in Corinth, Paul traveled throughout the interior regions until he reached Ephesus on the coast when he found Several believers. See, he said he was going to try and come back, and now he's back. "'Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed?' he asked them. "'No,' they replied. "'We haven't even heard that there is a Holy Spirit.' "'Then what baptism did you experience?' And they replied, "'The baptism of John.'" Paul said, "'John's baptism called for repentance from sin, but John himself told the people to believe in the one who would come later, meaning Jesus.'" As soon as they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then when Paul laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they spoke in other tongues and prophesied. There were about twelve men in all. Then Paul went to the synagogue and preached boldly for the next three months, arguing persuasively about the kingdom of God. But some became stubborn, rejecting his message and publicly speaking against the way. So Paul left the synagogue and took the believers with him. Then he held daily discussions at the lecture hall of Tyrannus. This went on for the next two years so that the people throughout the province of Asia, both Jews and Greeks, heard the word of the Lord. God gave Paul the power to perform unusual miracles. When handkerchiefs or aprons that had merely touched his skin were placed on sick people, they were healed of their diseases and evil spirits were expelled. A group of Jews was traveling from town to town, casting out evil spirits. They tried to use the name of Jesus in their incantation, incantation saying, I command you in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, to come out. Seven sons of Sceva, a leading priest, were doing this. But one time when they tried it, the evil spirit replied, I know Jesus, and I know Paul, but who are you? Then the man with the evil spirit leapt on them, overpowered them, and attacked them with such violence that they fled from the house naked and battered. The story of what had happened spread quickly all throughout Ephesus to Jews and Greeks alike. A solemn fear descended on the city, and the name of the Lord Jesus was greatly honored. Many of, many who became believers confessed their sinful practices. A number of them who had been practicing sorcery brought their incantation books and burned them at a public bonfire. The value of the books was several million dollars. So the message about the Lord spread widely and had a powerful effect. Now here's what I want you to do. I want you to skip ahead to verse 23. About that time, serious trouble developed in Ephesus concerning the way. It began with Demetrius, a silversmith who had a large business manufacturing silver shrines of the Greek goddess Artemis. He kept many craftsmen busy. He called them together along with others employed in similar trades and addressed them as follows. Gentlemen, you know that our wealth comes from this business. But as you have seen and heard, this man Paul has persuaded many people that handmade gods aren't really gods at all. And he's done this not only here in Ephesus, but throughout the entire province. Of course, I'm not just talking about the loss of public respect for our business. I'm also concerned that the temple of the great goddess Artemis will lose its influence Influence and that Artemis, this magnificent goddess worshipped throughout the province of Asia and all around the world, will be robbed of her great prestige. At this, their anger boiled and they began shouting, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians! Soon the whole city was filled with confusion. Everyone rushed to the amphitheater, dragging along Gaius and Aristarchus, who were Paul's traveling companions from Macedonia. Paul wanted to go in too, but the believers wouldn't let him. Some of the officials of the province, friends of Paul's, also sent a message to him begging him not to risk his life by entering the amphitheater. Inside, the people were all shouting some one thing and some another. Everything was in confusion. In fact, most of them doesn't don't, didn't even know why they were there. The Jews in the crowd pushed Alexander forward and told him to explain the situation. He motioned For for silence and tried to speak. But when the crowd realized he was a Jew, they started shouting again and kept it up for two hours. Great is Artemis of the Ephesians! Great is Artemis of the Ephesians! At last the mayor was able to quiet them down enough to speak. Citizens of Ephesus, he said, Everyone knows that Ephesus is the official guardian of the temple of the great Artemis, whose image fell down to us from heaven. Since this is an undeniable fact, you should stay calm and not do anything rash. You've brought these men here, but they've stolen nothing from the temple and have not spoken against our goddess. If Demetrius and the craftsmen have a case against them, the courts are in session and the officials can hear the case at once. Let them make formal charges, and if there are complaints about other matters, they can be settled in a legal assembly. I'm afraid we are in danger of being charged with rioting by the Roman government since there is no cause for this commotion. And if Rome demands an explanation, we won't know what to say. Then he dismissed them, and they dispersed. Go back to verse 21. Afterward, Paul felt compelled by the Spirit to go over to Macedonia and Achaia before going to Jerusalem. And after that, he said, I must go to Rome. He sent his two assistants, Timothy and Erastus, ahead to Macedonia while he stayed a while longer in the province of Asia. Now, go to chapter 20, verse 1. When the uproar was over, Paul sent for the believers and encouraged them. Then he said goodbye and left for Macedonia. While there, he encouraged the believers in all the towns he passed through. I just wanted to do that so you kind of can follow the narrative story. Because it kind of looks like Paul leaves and then he leaves again. And it's really talking about the same thing. So when we read the Bible, we, we want to have an understanding of the flow. Right? Because we are used to a very linear way of writing. We're used to a story with a beginning and a story with an end. And if we mess up in the story, like we can hit delete, right? We can hit backspace and we can go back and cut and we can do all that kind of stuff. When they're handwriting all of this, they can't do that. So my hunch is I have no evidence of this. My hunch is Luke started writing and he was like, Oh yeah, you know what would be awesome to put in here? That huge riot. So he stopped, and he included the riot, and then he picked up where he left off. Another thing I want you to see is when we go from chapter 18 to chapter 19, we skip about two years. There is so much of this when we read narrative that we just miss. Like We, just, we see Paul leaves one place and he arrives somewhere else, and to 21st century minds, here's what that means. Paul drove to Denver, hopped on a plane, and flew to Los Angeles. And like, he was there the next day, or the same day, right? Well, two years pass, and it's important for us to understand the the amount of time that goes into these kind of things. So when we began in this section, what we saw was people who were being baptized in John's baptism, and what they did was they had to humble themselves to people who knew more than they did. To Paul in particular, they had to humble themselves to Paul's wisdom, knowledge, and authority. And when I was, again, reading through these verses, this phrase will probably sound familiar. It's in your bulletin. If you want to participate in the proclamation of the gospel, you must be humble and willing to sacrifice your wealth, your power, your place, your prestige, and your position. If you want to faithfully proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ, you must humble yourself and be willing to give up your wealth, your power, your place, your prestige, and your position. You have to give all of that up. You have to be willing to sacrifice all of that for the proclamation of the gospel. The Jews in the synagogue, they were were stubborn, so there was no humility to be found in that situation. So... After a period of time, Paul takes his message to the lecture hall of Tyrannus, which is mostly Gentiles, but there were some Jews there. And again, see, they listened to him for how long? For two years. So in the span of a chapter, we've jumped four years into the future. And they listen to him, and Paul is given all of these really crazy gifts that we don't understand. And people try to copy those gifts with very mixed results, I would say. The seven sons of Sceva, they wanted the power, but what they didn't have was any of the authority that comes from a relationship with Jesus. They wanted the power, but they didn't want the relationship with Jesus. And I wonder for, for us in this room today, for some of us in this room today, If that's true. How many of us want the benefits of salvation, but we don't want to do the work of proclaiming it? We want the benefits of it, but we don't want to proclaim it. We don't want to tell anyone. And I think one of the things that we can see in this text is we're not fooling anyone in that situation. God, above all else, is not tricked The spiritual world, and this is something we're going to talk about when we go into the book of Ephesians here in a few weeks. Creatures in the spiritual world are not fooled by our fake Christianity. They're not tricked by it. They know what's going on. And it's right after this incident that we see many people willing to sacrifice their wealth, their power, their place, their prestige, and their position for Jesus. And we also then see many people who aren't willing to. Right? There's a lot of people in the city that when they saw all of this, especially the seven sons, get beaten by one guy, like, they're burning all their books. Yep. I need to get rid of this stuff. I need to sacrifice. But then there's a whole different group of people who are unwilling. So Paul moves on. Only return about 3 years later. Again, I don't want you to miss it. So so in just 3 chapters when we read through some of verse 20, chapter 20 here in a moment. In just 3 chapters, we've covered like 6 to 8 years in history. Let's read, beginning at verse 13 in chapter 20. Paul went by land to Asos, where he had arranged for us to join him while we traveled by ship. He joined us there, and we sailed together to Mytilene. The next day, we sailed past the island of Chios. The following day, we crossed the island of Samos, and a day later, we arrived at Miletus. Paul had decided to pa- to sail on past Ephesus, for he didn't want to spend any more time in the province of Asia. You've had that happen, right? You just want to get home, right? So you just keep driving, like your little gas meter says, this is how much time you have, and you're like, ah, we just want to get home. He was hurrying to get to Jerusalem, if possible, in time for the festival of Pentecost. But when we landed at Miletus, he sent a message to the elders of the church at Ephesus, asking them to come and meet him. When they arrived, he declared, You know that from the day I set foot in the province of Asia until now, I've done the Lord's work humbly and with many tears. I've endured the trials that came to me from the plots of the Jews. I never shrank back from telling you what you needed to hear, either publicly or in your homes. I've had one message for Jews and Greeks alike, the necessity of repenting from sin and turning to God and of having faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now I'm bound by the Spirit to go to Jerusalem. I don't know what awaits me, except the Holy Spirit tells me in city after city that jail and suffering lie ahead. But my life is worth nothing to me unless I use it for finishing the work assigned me by the Lord Jesus, the work of telling others the good news about the wonderful grace of God. And now I know that none of you whom I've preached the kingdom will ever see me again. I declare today that I've been faithful if anyone suffers eternal death, it's not my fault, for I didn't shrink back from declaring all that God wants you to know. So guard yourselves and God's people. Feed and shepherd God's flock, his church, purchased with his own blood, over which the Holy Spirit has appointed you as leaders. I know that false teachers like vicious wolves will come in after I leave, not sparing the flock. Even some men from your own group will rise up and distort the truth in order to draw a following. Watch out. Remember the three years I was with you, my constant watch and care over you night and day, and my many tears for you. And now I entrust you to God in the message of his grace that's able to build you up and give you an inheritance with all those he has set apart for himself. Never coveted anyone's silver or gold or fine clothes. You know that these hands of mine have worked to supply my own needs and even the needs of those who were with me. And I've been a constant example of how you can help those in need by working hard. You should remember the words of the Lord Jesus. It is more blessed to give than receive. When he had finished speaking, he knelt and prayed with them. They all cried as they embraced and kissed him goodbye. They were sad because, most of all, because he said he would never see them again. And they escorted him down to the ship. Proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ is hard work. What would possess someone? What would possess someone like Paul to devote this amount of time? To spend six years? What, what, would, what would make someone do that? Here's what I saw in this text If you want to participate in the proclamation of the gospel, You'll have one message, Jesus. You'll have one destiny, finish the work. And you'll have one charge, be on your guard, lead, love, and serve. This is really important for us as we think about what it means to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. To the elders at the church of Ephesus, he had one message. Repent from your sin, turn to God, and have faith in Jesus. Up to this point, Paul had not yet been shipwrecked even once, which should beg the question for some of you, how many times was Paul shipwrecked? He hasn't been shipwrecked even once yet. So that tells you at least one time. But he's walked all over Asia Minor, He's been falsely accused and persecuted. In Derby, the people there threw rocks at him so much that they thought he was dead, so they dragged his body outside the city gates and they left him. And then when Paul wakes up, I imagine with quite the headache, he walks back into the city. Repenting of your sin... Turning to God and having faith in Jesus isn't just something that matters. This is the only thing that matters. And this is the only message we have. At Westway Christian Church, this is the only message we have. It's the only one that matters. And I think the resolution to what ails much of 2019 is our lack of humility to the Lordship of Jesus Christ for Christians and for non-Christians alike. Paul has one message, and, and as a church, as the bride of Christ, as a bride of Christ in Scotts Bluff that we call Westway, we join him in this. Repent. Turn to God. Have faith in Jesus. But Paul also just had one destiny, and that was to finish the work. Paul actually said that his life meant nothing to him. Nothing to him if he didn't finish the work assigned to him by God. His life was worthless. And he had done some amazing things in his life up until this point. There are people who believe that Paul wrote the the first letter to the church at Corinth when he was in Ephesus. Like if you've ever read 1 Corinthians, like that's a pretty impressive piece of work. And what Paul's saying is, if I don't finish the work, then that letter to the Corinthian church is worthless. He had the ability to heal people just with, just with a handkerchief, with an apron. And Paul is telling the elders of Ephesus that the only thing that matters is that he finish the work. Well, what's the work? Telling others the good news about the wonderful grace of God. What's your destiny? What's your life's work? What are, you, what are you living for? As one of the wives of Christ, and that really sounds weird when I say it that way, but as one of the wives of Christ in Scotts Bluff, what's our destiny? What are we living for? If it's not telling other people about the good news of Jesus Christ, Is it worth it? Is it worth it? Is it enough? The building has been here for 25 years. That's pretty awesome. A lot of good things have happened in 25 years. How are we going to finish? How are we going to finish In a few weeks, September 28th, I believe, is the date, the Monument Marathon will start. 26.2 miles. Any person in this room, I say this with great confidence, any person in this room could start the Monument Marathon. Any one of us in this room, I don't care how young you are, I don't care how old you are, Any one of us in this room could start the Monument Marathon. They don't hand out medals to starters. Can we finish? So there's one message repent, turn to God, have faith in Jesus. There's one destiny. Finish the work, and there's one charge. Be on your guard. Lead, love, and serve. How's your relationship with Jesus? How's your actual relationship with Jesus? How's your wisdom and knowledge and understanding of who God is and what he's calling his people to do? Are you on your guard? Are you ready? I'm not asking if you're ready for like some theological debate on Facebook that no one ever wins, okay? No one has ever been converted by a Facebook post. Understand that. I'm not asking you if you're ready for a theological debate I'm asking you and I'm asking myself, I'm asking us, are we ready to explain to someone, anyone, why we believe what we believe? With confidence. Unshakable confidence in what God has done. What are we reading? Are we reading the Bible? Are we reading this? Or are we reading a book by the latest Christian platformed Author. I'm not saying anything bad about devotional guides. I use one almost every day of the week. And it is not in any way, shape, or form a substitute for this book. It's just not. And I've read some pretty great stuff from people who know way more than me. I've been motivated to live out my faith but of what I've seen other people write. And as great as those things are, it is not this book. When Paul is in Berea in Acts 17, he's teaching in the synagogue, and the author of Acts says this, the people in Berea were more open-minded than those of Thessalonica, and they listened eagerly to Paul's message. So remember, we can see here, open-minded people are humble, and they listen eagerly to the wisdom, knowledge, and authority of others. And it says they searched the Scriptures day after day to see if Paul and Silas were teaching the truth. In order to be on guard, in order to compare what someone is saying to the truth, what do you have to know? Really, what do you have to know? You have to know the truth. See, because if you don't know the truth, then you can't compare what someone else is saying to the truth. Which is why every single week, every week, we ask you to open your Bible and read along with us. Because we want you to see where all of this comes from. We want you to compare what we're saying to Scripture. Don't just be on guard, lead. Every one of us in this room is a leader. And the reason that all of us are leaders is because we all have influence. You have influence over people that I don't have any influence over. You have been placed in your neighborhoods and in your jobs and in your schools and in your families because you have influence in those places that I don't and our pastors don't and our elders never will. God is calling you to lead. He's calling us to be on guard, and finally he's calling us to love and to serve. And the Christians in this room and all over Scotts Bluff, we ought to be be the best examples of what it looks like to serve and love other people. Us, as believers, we ought to be the best examples that when people look into us, we ought to be the best examples of what it looks like to love and to serve. When there's a school supply drive in our community, and we have the opportunity as a church body, and man, great job. You killed it. Fantastic. Wonderful. I love all of the ways that we come alongside our community and serve in our community. And truthfully, when they come to pick up stuff from a church, like there should be like... There should be more stuff in our bins. And I don't mean necessarily Westway's bins. I mean the church's bins. There should be more stuff in the church's bins than any other place in town. Right now we have a drive for supplies for homeless people. I want, man, when Cap 1 comes to pick that stuff up, I want him to have to bring another vehicle. Because that's what it looks like to love and to serve our community well. Instead of living lives of covetousness, instead of desiring what everyone else has, we are to work for the benefit of others. That's what Paul did. Instead of living our lives clamoring for what we can get, after all, that's the American way, what would it look like for us to recognize that God has given us abundantly and then to share that because we can give to other people? The church in Ephesus was founded in 51-52 AD when all sorts of people humbled themselves around the gospel of Jesus Christ. It grew over the next five or six years as people humbled themselves around the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if we read through Paul's warning in Acts chapter 20 in an open-minded way, we will see hints of what will happen to the church in Ephesus. Will they remain humble, or will they allow themselves to reign? Let's pray. God, I pray that we would, as a church body, all of us, that we would be filled with the humility to submit to the wisdom, knowledge, and authority of others pray all of us that we would have the humility to sacrifice our wealth, power, place, prestige, and position. God, I pray that all of us would have the humility to have one message, Jesus, that we would be united around one destiny, and that is finishing the work, and that we would have one charge, to be on our guard, to lead, love, and serve.